Sorry, I just remembered a note I had to make. <laughs> okay. So John chapter 15 uh, is not the Palm Sunday account. Um, John chapter 15 uh, actually takes place a couple of days after Palm Sunday. Um, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, uh, John gives us great insight into Jesus' last week on earth, uh, in including, at least before he was crucified, and including um, the night of the Last Supper. And so this passage actually takes place the night before Jesus would be crucified, the night he was betrayed. And he's having dinner with his disciples, and he's telling them some things at the end that are very important. You, you'll recognize the beginning of John chapter 15 when he says, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. You must abide in me and stay connected with me, and you will have all that you need. And, and here we have what comes after that. Jesus just got done telling his disciples this wonderful dialogue about staying connected to him. He promises the Holy Spirit. He predicts Peter's denial. He, he gives so much positive stuff, even in spite of Peter's denial. And if you look at verse 17, just before we begin our passage in John chapter 15, verse 17, he says that this is my command. This is what you need to do most of all, is you need to love one another. Just like we talked about last week. Jesus wants to take the tough stuff off of our plate so that we can love and care for the people around us so that we can be shining lights and that we can nurture and care and bring other people to him so that he can take the tough stuff off of their plate as well. This is his job. But unfortunately, um, the world doesn't all like him. The world, as we know, is not a big fan of Jesus. As we read in the psalm, the stone the builders rejected have become the, the capstone of the cornerstone. And so tonight we have a passage uh, where Jesus is predicting what will happen to his followers. And as brothers and sisters in Christ also may happen to us. And so please follow along with me, either in the Bible in front of you or on the screen, John chapter 15, verses 18 to 25. Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed, me, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. They hated me without reason. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's Jesus talking with his disciples and his immediate followers in the upper room. Probably a few more than the twelve, but his kind of close-knit group. And he gives this very sobering, but also encouraging teaching, like so many other of Jesus' teachings. You know, there's words in there that are difficult and that are hard.
but that he also reminds us of his love and his kindness. And here, we have something no different. He starts out with a nice little reminder. Hey, if the world hates you, remember, hated me first. (laughs) Jesus knows what it is to be hated by the world. Jesus knew what it was to be rejected. He even was rejected in his hometown. As it says when he went to Nazareth to preach that even a prophet is rejected in his hometown. The people who knew him best in this life rejected him. And he says to us, if you were hated by the world, it's okay. I was hated too. See, it's comforting, but it's also hard to hear. Because in verse 19, he continues, and he says, because if you belong to the world, it would love you. If you were part of this world, it would love you, and it would welcome you, and you would feel at home. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, because I've chosen you out. I've taken you away from this world. And that is why the world hates you. On the one hand, we belong to God, and it's a good thing. It's a blessing. We are children of the Most High, the cornerstone. We are children whom He loves, and we are comforted, and we are loved, and we feel full in our deepest needs. But on the other hand, this is why the world hates us. The same source of comfort, our belonging to God, is the same reason that the world may hate you. And here, it's like Jesus is saying, here, have this great treasure, right? The pearl of great price, the treasure in the field. He says, take this great treasure. You can feel full inside for the first time. He said, you can know there's a God out there who loves you and who cares for you and who will be there for you whenever you need him. When you feel shame and when you feel hurt and when you feel pain, he will have an answer and he will respond. But if you take this treasure... You will no longer fit in with the world. You will no longer be able to blend in with the world because I've taken you out of it. When I talk about this series we've been in on the cost of following Jesus, this is it. This is the cost of following Jesus. He gives us life and he gives us love everlasting. But it also takes us out of this world. It takes us out of our hometowns and where we feel most comfortable. In verse 20, he says, listen, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master, and if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It's going to happen. You will have love and you will have truth, but if we follow Jesus, he says, we also will have persecution. And not just persecution, but he uses this word hate. If the world hates you, it's because it hated me first. You know, sometimes I read things in Scripture and I just want to put them on the, uh, in the background or maybe say, well, this verse isn't quite as important as other verses. And when I read this, I can't get around that this is Jesus. The night before his ministry on earth was winding down and he said, this is important. We need to know this. Just as important as abiding in Christ and staying connected to him is knowing that the world will be an adversary. See, at the time, in the first century, the problem was, as he says, they, they don't understand the one who sent me in verse 21. He says, they treat you this way because of my name, and they don't understand that I'm from God. 
And at the time, the people he was speaking to, the Jews and the Jewish leaders, there was a disconnect. They loved God. They loved the God of Abraham. And, and, and they loved the God of their ancestors. But they said, who is this Jesus? Right? We talked about this last week and the week before. They were feeling him out. They were trying to find out, who is this prophet? And they had decided that he was not of God. And this is what Jesus is saying. But that was a long time ago. What is the problem now? What is the problem with the world now? Why does the world not like the disciples now? Well, it's even worse, I think. I think it's even worse because they don't like the God who sent him or him. They've rejected Jesus and they've rejected God. They've rejected the word of God. They've rejected the prophets. And the world over the last 2,000 years has gone out of its way to make its own gods. Every society that's ever existed has gone out of its way to make its own gods of money and of power and of success and control. People want to rely on themselves and their own ability. Even though their abilities come from God, they say, no, God, I don't want to give you praise. I want to make myself like a God. Which really was the first sin. Adam and Eve said, no, we want to be like God. And in verse 24, Jesus says, hey, they have seen it and they still hate. They have seen the Son of God and they've seen the miracles and you know what? They still have made this choice. What more can I do? What more can I do? And the amazing thing is the next day he does more. The next day he does so much more. He goes to the cross for these people and they still, and they still are angry and they still say, crucify him. And with his last breaths, he forgives people. He does even more than this for us. They have seen and they still hate. Another great teaching on this that I want to share with you is found in Luke chapter 20. In Luke chapter 20, it's the same time. It's, it's during Holy Week leading up to Jesus' last days. And, and Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's teaching not just his disciples, but some other people as well at the temple. And he says this, starting in verse 9. He went on to tell the people a parable. He says, a man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my own son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over and said, This is the heir. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when the people heard this, they said, may this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and then and said, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. They have seen and they still said, we want nothing to do with this Jesus. You know, if you modernized this story, it would make a pretty good movie. <laughs> It would make a really good movie and, and people would watch it and they would feel empathy for the landowner and they would feel empathy for the heir, the son that is killed. 
And, and, in, and if it were a movie or, 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 or some sort of real-life modern story, people would say, absolutely, they need to be punished. Absolutely, this is unjust. They would feel for the Father. Their heart would ache for Him. And yet the world saw this in Jesus. And the world saw this in Jesus, and they saw it with God, and they said, no, we want the vineyard for ourselves." Jesus then goes on in the last verse to do what he always does and just continues to show his grace and mercy by quoting the Psalms. He quotes Psalm 35 and Psalm 69 in the final verse when he says, they hated me without reason. Quoting scripture, pointing to the Old Testament, saying, listen, I am the fulfillment of all these things. And the great thing, too, is if you go back and you read the two Psalms that he quotes, these are Psalms about victory about God getting all the glory and God receiving all the praise, even in spite of the hate, even in spite of the malicious intent of the people. And so when we look at this passage, what do we do? How do we proceed? I would say this, if we look at verse 19, who do we choose to love? Who do we choose to belong to? The creator or the creation? The Creator says that He has chosen us out of the world, and yet we are still given the choice to worship Him or His creation. It is true, and it's also the words of Jesus, that we cannot have two rulers in this life. We cannot have two masters. Will you be a servant of the everlasting kingdom of love and of grace and of mercy and risk being alienated in this world? Or will you choose to make yourself a ruler of a kingdom of this world? of deceit and of power and of pride. Jesus says, listen, once you know this and once you see these things, you're responsible for them. Once you see what Jesus did, you are responsible to respond to it. If I had not done, verse 24, among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but they have seen the miracles and yet they have hated both me and my Father. And yet still, He chose us. Still, he chose us to be his bride, not just to be his servants. If you look up at verse 14, earlier in John chapter 15, it says that he calls us friends. We are no longer servants. We are his fellow heirs. You know, I like Palm Sunday a lot. But there's a a little bit of a dark side to Palm Sunday. And again, in the Luke account, it says that he wept over Jerusalem before he entered the city because he knew they would reject him. And when he goes into the city, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they tell Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. You know, you guys remember what Jesus said? He said, even if they're quiet, the very stones will cry out my name. Now, maybe there's a little bit of hyperbole, but I don't think so. Because if the disciples hadn't praised him and the people hadn't praised him, the very earth needs a savior. The very earth needs redemption. If you read the Old Testament, it says that it's not just us who suffered from sin, but the very ground of the earth of God's creation needed Jesus to come. And when I read this passage, I see that we have a job. Even in the midst of persecution... Sometimes outright hate might come to us. We are still his church. And let me assure you that this persecution and this hate is not a one-time thing that Jesus mentions. 
in Matthew chapter 10, when he sends out his disciples to, to, to the surrounding areas, he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. And on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Why did we sign up for this? You know, Jesus says it's not if you will be persecuted, but when. When you are persecuted for your faith. But here's the great part, and this is why we signed up for it. We are not alone. We don't do this by ourselves. You are not a sheep among wolves by yourself. As the author of Hebrews so beautifully writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this, Hebrews 12.3, is the important part. Consider him who endured this opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that you, brothers and sisters in Christ, will not grow weary. So that when you encounter the persecution, you do not grow weary. It is because of Palm Sunday and it is because of Easter and Good Friday that we can go through this life with our heads held high. That when we encounter trials, we do not have to lose heart. Look around you. This is a church of people from around the world united for one purpose. That we do not lose heart. I would encourage you this week as you prepare for Easter, to continue reading John 16 and 17. They're wonderful chapters. It says that the disciples' grief will turn to joy. And I know that talking about persecution on a Palm Sunday when we want to be singing Hosanna and waving palm fronds is not as fun. But let me assure you of this. The Lord chose you for this purpose. When you encounter persecution, when you encounter trials, He is with you. And your brothers and sisters in Christ are with you. You do not need to grow weary. You do not need to lose heart. If we trust Christ with our lives, our grief will turn to joy. In our obedience to God, we may find persecution. But we have been chosen by God. And we respond with belief and faith so that when we say yes to the truth of God in this world and the world rejects us, we know we have a home. We know we have a heavenly home. That even though this world has kicked us out and said, no, you're not part of us, we say, fine. My grief will turn to joy. We come to the table tonight in an embrace of this potential suffering. We come to the table tonight to embrace the unknown without fear for tomorrow, without being scared of what may be around the corner. For we know that Christ endured, and so shall we. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you. Lord, you did more than we ever could so that we don't have to. You've done the heavy lifting. 
and you ask us to join your kingdom. The eternal kingdom, Lord, not of this world, but of the heavenly realms where you promise that one day there will be no more pain and no more suffering and that our grief will be turned into joy forever. Lord, while we await that day, we do not worry about tomorrow, but we embrace tonight time with worship and brother, with brothers and sisters in Christ and a time to remember at your table. Lord, thank you for tonight. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Uh, we're gonna have